Welcome back to week three of our podcast. I'm Jenny Seibel, the formation pastor at Emmanuel. And I'm Matthew Brown, the lead pastor. We're crossing the halfway mark with this week's podcast as we explore four dominant themes from Luke's gospel. Just to refresh everyone, so far we've looked at Luke's presentation of Jesus as the telos first week, and then last week we looked at the way the Holy Spirit is central and empowering to all of Jesus' life and ministry, and continues to be so for the church. This week we're looking at the idea that Jesus came for the poor and marginalized. As we read in Luke 4 a few weeks back, and then again last Sunday, Jesus said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. Right, and and if you listen to that sermon from February 13th, you know um, on that Sunday I took a pretty deep dive into what is uh, in Jesus's imagination as he's declaring this good news, that the Old Testament prophetic tradition that Jesus is standing on is calling God's people to not merely dole out their leftovers to the needy, but to actually advocate for those who have no social power or social capital. And in the world of the ancient Near East, this was predominantly widows, orphans, and immigrants. In the Pentateuch, which is the first five books of the Bible, we see five commands specifically about widows, orphans, and immigrants, or as the Old Testament puts it, strangers or aliens. Uh, These commands are about making sure that widows, orphans, and aliens eat their fill, are counted among the people of God, basically that their care is a part of what it means to be the people of God. Mm. The heart of the command is that these three labels put you at the bottom of the social hierarchy and God's people then care for those at the bottom of the social hierarchy, period. That's just what God's people do. And so we find all throughout the prophets references and reprimands for not taking care of people at the bottom of the social hierarchy, not just for not caring for them, which would be one thing, but actually exploiting them. Mm. So this is actually at the center of the punishment of Israel and being sent into exile, We talked a lot about this at our exile class, if you were there, but I just think these are um, so important for Christians to know that like these are the things that are within the the Old Testament witness. So we see in Jeremiah 7 and all throughout um, the prophets, these warnings. So in Jeremiah 7, it says, For if you truly amend your ways and your doings, if you truly act justly one with another, If you do not oppress the alien, the orphan, and the widow, or shed innocent blood in this place, and if you do not go after other gods to your own hurt, then I will dwell with you in this place, in the land that I gave of old to your ancestors forever and ever. And then further on we see ultimate declarations against Israel because they did not heed these warnings. So for example, in Isaiah, the very first chapter, Isaiah says, Your princes are rebels and companions of thieves. Everyone loves a bribe and runs after gifts. They do not defend the orphan, and the widow's cause does not come before them. So the tradition that Jesus is standing on when he says, blessed are the poor, or the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to declare good news to the poor, is um, it's really fully formed. Jesus is not making this up as he goes. He is here to bring about the justice that, uh, that God said his people are meant to give to those who are at the bottom of uh, society's ladder. And this week we wanna look specifically at how Jesus does this. What is his ministry to the poor, the marginalized, the neglected? There's honestly no good one place to start because it is it is in every part of Luke's gospel from beginning to end. But I thought maybe a first place to start would be to look at how does Jesus himself identify with the poor in this gospel. And there's just a couple of things that, there's more that could be drawn out, but here's three. One, the birth narrative. Uh, 
In the birth narrative, Jesus' parents are presented as a foil to the might and glory of Rome. Uh, They are a simple working class uh, couple living in a backwater town. Um, Jesus' family is so poor that when he's presented at the temple in Luke chapter 2, they're only able to offer the sacrifice that was afforded to the very poor in society. Uh, In the middle of the gospel, Jesus restates his own identity with the poor by saying, foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And of course, Jesus' death by crucifixion itself places him among the very lowest in society. Crucifixion was a method of capital punishment that was reserved only for slaves and political insurgents who were non-citizens. And so Jesus died at the bottom of society with his only possession Uh, that is his clothes, being gambled for him right in front of his uh, eyes as he just hung uh, bleeding on a cross. So Jesus' identity with the poor is clear throughout the book, but there's more, of course, because his ministry is specifically aimed at the poor. And when we talk about the poor, uh, I think it's good to kind of put them into categories. There's the materially poor, for sure, but also uh, in Jesus' imagination, he's there for the socially poor and he's there for the spiritually poor. When we talk about the socially poor in Jesus' time, a huge group that needs to be mentioned is the Gentiles, and that means anyone who is not a Jew. Not only were those outside of the Hebrew people not being cared for, but they were despised. They couldn't actually even be touched or shared with. The Samaritan people encapsulated this idea entirely. They were seen as completely other, like capital O, other. They were dirty, they were unholy, even contagious. Just the worst kind of thing you can think about a people group is how these people were perceived by um, Jesus' own people. So when Jesus tells the parable of the good Samaritan, the Samaritan being the hero of the story, the one who does care for the dying man on the side of the road, Jesus is putting the care of the other back into the minds of his people. And not just with the caring uh, caring for the hurting man on the side of the road. That would be in and of itself caring for the other. But by making the hero uh, the Samaritan, the one who's actually caring for the other, Jesus kills two birds with one stone basically here <laughs> in the most prophetic way. Um, probably a... Uh, uh the primary group, when we talk about those with social poverty in, in Jesus' world, the primary group uh, of socially poor people in Luke's gospel is women. Um, women play a more pronounced role in Luke's telling of the Jesus story than any other gospel. Um, although it is important to note that women actually play prominent roles surprisingly in radically countercultural ways in all of, on all of the gospels. But uh, they are front and center for Luke. The gospel begins with women, Elizabeth, Anna, Mary, of course. Uh, Additionally, Luke is the only one who mentions women disciples. Uh, Luke is the only gospel that includes the story of Mary and Martha, which you may be familiar uh, with, where um, from Luke chapter 10, where Martha is doing the things women are supposed to do, hurrying about, being a good host, preparing food, cleaning. And Mary, meanwhile, is sitting at the feet of her rabbi, which is a social position of a disciple. Essentially, Jesus's inclusion of Mary at his feet uh, is, is him putting her on the same level with all of his male apprentices, his disciples. Um, There are more examples than this. Women show up all over the place. Jesus raises the widow of Nain's son. 
Um, he, uh, there's the woman with the ointment and the alabaster flask who comes and pours it on Jesus' feet and his head. The woman healed on the Sabbath, Jairus' daughter, the woman with the hemorrhage of blood, all throughout Luke's gospel. Women are playing prominent roles. Jesus sees women. He moves towards women. He chooses women. He listens to women. Uh, women are responsible for supporting Jesus' ministry in Luke's gospel. It's actually the women who have the, the money in order to, to support Jesus. It's not, it's not the men. Um, so this is, of course, an incredibly significant theme where Jesus is taking those who were forgotten, who were seen as inferior and less in society, and elevating them so that they were on the same level playing field as, as everyone else. Another group of socially poor people that receives a lot of focus is those with disabilities. Um, and this is probably, probably because Luke was a medical doctor. He was a physician. Um, we know this from the role he played in Paul's life in the book of Acts. So Luke just has a special eye on those with disabilities. Um, for instance, Luke is the only gospel writer who, in the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus is arrested, um, a lot of people remember the story of Peter lunging at someone. He cuts off the ear of one of the high priest's slaves. And most of the gospels record this story, but only Luke says that Jesus picked the ear up off the ground and put it back on the man's face and healed him. Um, so whether it's the infertility of Elizabeth in Luke 1, or the paralytic who is uh, lowered through the ceiling in Luke 5, or the healing of a woman with a disability that had hunched her over for 18 years in Luke 13, or the woman with the chronic hemorrhage in Luke 8, or even his movement towards Zacchaeus, who um, you may recognize that name if you've been in Sunday school ever, but Zacchaeus, there's a children's song that has popularized him as the wee little man. Um, but Zacchaeus's lack of physical structure or stature complicated and disrupted his life in a world full of taller people. And in all of these stories, what we see is not that disability is a curse that Jesus is here to heal, although he often does restore the disabled in one way or another. Um, but I don't think Zacchaeus grew six inches after his encounter. We see actually instead Jesus ignores society's rules around those with disabilities and sees them, advocates for them, and gives them back social power and agency over their own lives. Mm -hmm. And as a short person, I love Zacchaeus. <laughs> and we talk about the spiritual poor. That's essentially all of us, sinners. Luke 15 says, All the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, This fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. Basically saying he's doing the wrong thing, a bad thing. So Jesus responds by telling them immediately after that three parables, which you'll probably know, the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the prodigal son. The gist of what he's saying being that he, Jesus, has come out of his way to seek and save the lost, mm. that his greatest joy actually comes from sinners being found by him. So the moral of the story for us is that not even sin can count us out of the kingdom of God. Mm. That's great. So we said, uh, or I guess it was the first week, we said that the creature that is assigned to Luke and to his gospel um, as early as the second century was an ox. Um, an ox is, of course, a slow-moving beast of burden. Uh, whereas in, in Mark's gospel, Jesus is flying through the pages, doing one thing after another after another. The word immediately is all throughout Mark's gospel. In Luke, Jesus, he moves slow. He notices everyone, especially those pushed to the edges of society. Luke's Jesus is a burden bearer. He comes to all those who are carrying heavy burdens, those who have no agency, those who have no social capital, no material wealth, um, and he bears those burdens with them and for them. And we need to remember uh, in closing that as apprentices of Jesus, 
what he is doing in this, Jesus is modeling what our life should also look like, that we are similarly called to be um, burden bearers. I just want to close with um, one of my favorite and uh, I think just stunning verses from Luke. It's chapter 14, verse 12 to 14. And um, he's he's sitting at a dinner party when this happens. He's been invited by a wealthy person to a dinner. uh, And it's all very powerful people. It's well-to-do. And he uh, says to the one who invited him, When you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors in case that they may invite you in return and you would be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Jesus is essentially calling you and me to avoid reciprocity in our hospitality, in our generosity, and in our charity. Not because it's bad to have someone reciprocate, but because that there's actually a greater need. It's those who cannot reciprocate. Those are the ones who need advocacy. Those are the ones who need our generosity. Those are the ones who need our attention. And so this week, maybe just consider who is someone that you might be able to do good for, someone on your street, someone that you see regularly in your routine that could not repay you. And may we have eyes to see those who are unseen, those who remain in the shadows, who have been pushed to the margins by mainstream, May you and I see all the peoples as Jesus sees them and move towards them, not as saviors, but as kin, remembering that we are never closer to Jesus than when we are with the poor. Blessings to you, friends. Grace and peace. We'll see you soon. friends, this is Matthew, the lead pastor at Emmanuel Anglican Church in East Atlanta. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast. We are disciples of Jesus who are seeking his kingdom and the flourishing of our neighbors. And if you want to find out more about Emmanuel and what's going on, just hop over to our website. The address is Emmanuel, that's with an I, EmmanuelATL.org. Thanks so much. God bless you. Grace and peace.